Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Hello, we're on. Well, I'm on anyway. Um, it is Tuesday night, seven o'clock. I am here. You are there. And this is the Facebook Live Q&A. In fact, if you're wondering what this is, I can tell you what it is. It is That's what it is. Did it come up? That's what it is right there. Okay, if you're wondering, if you're wondering when this happens, this is when it happens. And if you're wondering what you've got to do on your side of things, well, I can tell you now, what you've got to do on your side of things is this. No? All right. Comment and share. So, we've got some questions. And before I do the questions, before I get cracking with the questions, I want to say a bit of housekeeping. The podcast is on iTunes. If you're a podcast type of person, uh, personally, I dabble. I dabble. I'm not a big consumer, but I do dabble with podcasts. Binge. I binge podcasts myself. Uh, if you're a binger, you can binge. This it goes onto a podcast every uh, week uh, called The Cyano Clinic on iTunes. So that is something that is something that you can do. And the other thing that you can do is you can subscribe if you want, totally and utterly um, uh, not compulsory. The word, the other word for that is voluntary, I guess. Voluntary, uh, it's totally voluntary. Is the YouTube channel, which is called the Styano Clinic, and we're desperate for subscribers. I'll be honest with you, got 202, so uh, happy with the 200. Um, boundary that we passed, uh, did got to 203. Then went back down to 202, bit depressing. Could have been worse, could have gone down to 199. Once we passed the 200, at least we kept it past the 200 boundary. But, you know, a little bit depressing to go from 203 to 202. But anyway, if you do want to subscribe, please subscribe. But don't unsubscribe. I'd rather, it'd be better not to even subscribe in the first place than to unsubscribe. I mean, that's, anyway. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Anyway, so uh, I've got some questions here, which I've pre-made. Now, first thing to say, it is Sun Awareness Week. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it is. So I want to make that uh, uh, statement. And um, so I've, I've been asked to talk about sun uh, and scars. So, well, sun in general, sun, you've got to be careful in the sun. Uh, there's two sort of types. Did I say there's two types of damage? But anyway, basically sun can damage your skin by getting sunburned. That's one uh, way of the sun damaging your skin. So obviously you've got to be careful with sunburns, particularly as a child. It is a risk factor for skin cancer, uh, having sunburn as a child. So you've got to be very careful with your skin. But also you've got to be aware that chronic sun exposure damages the skin. Not only damaging the skin in terms of um, skin cancers and skin lesions, um, uh, but also it damages the skin in terms of the elasticity of the skin. So your skin will lose its elasticity. So you're more likely to get wrinkles basically. 
um, and age, premature aging due to the sun and sunbeds. So they, you know, I uh, don't want to be a party pooper, but that is a fact, sun and sunbeds is not good you know, to, for the skin. It is damaging the skin, thermal injury to the skin. So the point I'm getting to is that you should ideally wear sun protection all year round uh, because the sun obviously is out there all the time. Um, you have got to be more careful in on sunny days, particularly for sun um, burn, but you should be aware that sun can damage your skin all the time and so be aware that sun protection is not a bad thing um, all year round. Uh, oh yeah, the scar thing. The scar thing is that um, I think, I'm not sure why, well, I think the link there is because you've got to be careful with the scar in the sun. So that's a slightly different thing. That's when you have a, if you just had surgery, so sometimes people come and say, oh, can I have my mole removed, please? We say, yeah, you can't find, you'll remove your mole. And they say, by the way, I'm going to Ibiza next week or next month or something like that. So when you have a scar, it is red and obvious to start off with. And I normally say that's the first three to six months. So three to six months is quite a long time. So it can be red and obvious for a while, for, for several months. And while it is red and obvious, you must avoid getting a tan on it. So you must avoid getting a suntan on an active scar while it's red and active. Because if you get a tan on a scar while it's red, it will get a suntan. And then when you lose the tan, the scar will keep the tan. So the scar will stay pigmented. So that is a risk of uh, going to somewhere sunny after having surgery. So if you come and say, look, I'm off to Ibiza in a couple of weeks, what I would say to you is you're better off waiting till you've uh, come back. And because uh, you don't really want to get a tan on a pig, on a on a scar while it's red, because uh, you'll when you lose your tan, you'll end up with a pigmented scar, brown scar, which will not be good. So be careful in the sun, people. Don't just enjoy it. Obviously, I mean we all enjoy the sun, but just be careful and use sun protection. And if you're going to have surgery, elective surgery, so planned surgery, I would not have it before going to a sunny place if you're going to expose that scar to the sun. So it's just the scar we're talking about. So when someone has a breast augmentation, so I'm on the next question. When someone has a breast augmentation, it's just the scar you've got to neck on, not get on the sun. Obviously, if you wear a bikini, the scar is hidden. So the rest of your skin you can't get on the sun, notwithstanding the fact the sun is damaging. But it's the scar you've got to avoid getting a tan on. Can you drain a cyst? So uh, yeah, questions that were on email say, can, can they have a cyst drain? I didn't get any more information about this. So when someone asks that question, that leads me to think that the cyst is infected. So when a cyst gets infected, it gets very big and tight. And the treatment of that infection is to let the contents of the cyst out, number one, to sort of burst it in a way. And number two, antibiotics. If it's very, that's if it's very, if it's not so tight, antibiotics might be the number one treatment. But when it's really tight, really inflamed, and almost an abscess, really, the treatment of an abscess is to drain the abscess. And once you drain the abscess, it usually settles. You usually give antibiotics as well, but draining the, the abscess or draining the cyst will uh, relieve the pain and will make it a lot more comfortable. So um, you can drain a cyst, but you usually will drain a cyst when it is. Um, infected and very tense in order to relieve the discomfort. As a normal treatment for a cyst, draining a cyst is not good treatment uh, for a cyst who, which isn't it, which is just quiet. And sometimes you see people, oh, you know, you can burst it and pop it and stuff comes out. And that will make the stuff come out. The contents come out, but it won't get rid of the cyst wall. And so if the cyst wall is there, the cyst can, re can recur, can come back again. So 
um, bursting or draining a cyst is not a great way of uh, treating a cyst permanently. If you want to permanently treat a cyst, then you need to remove the cyst wall, and that usually means um, cutting it out, basically making a scar over the top of it and cutting it out and removing that cyst wall. Um, it, uh, if someone comes when it's infected and when it's tense, well, to be honest, we, we, we probably wouldn't, we just wouldn't treat you when it's infected and it's tense because you wouldn't want to do surgery. You wouldn't want to cut it out when it isn't, when it's tense. The treatment then is, is, in, is, is uh, draining it, which would be A&E or GP um, to drain it and get it settled. And then when it's settled, then you come back and then we cut it out uh, properly um, and, and more permanently. Whereas when you first have it done, um, When you have it drained, it's still still there. Um, I've got something there. Instead, I have an apple. Well, um, so can you drain a cyst? So yes, you can, but uh, it's really for an emergency treatment or an urgent treatment rather than for um, for permanent treatment. You know what? This is a bit. I'm on my last question already. What's happened? Last question, guys. Last question. So if you, please, if you've got any questions, help me out here. Last question. Last question, this is. Last question. Last question. If anyone's got any questions, please ask. Try and drag this one out. Um, it's, a, it's a big one. Implants under the muscle. Is it, here we go. I already have implants under the muscle. Is it possible to have them redone and get them changed to dual plane or over the muscle? Yes. Number one, short answer, yes. Now, it's really confusing, this dual plane thing. To be honest with you, it's confusing with plastic surgeons, let alone with patients. So I'm not surprised that patients are a bit confused by the dual plane um, terminology. So dual plane uh, refers to implants that are under the muscle. When implants are under the muscle, what you can do is you can create a second plane, hence the name dual plane. Um, so you put the implants, you have a muscle here, the pec major muscle, you put the implants underneath the muscle. And you can make, as well as making a, a plane underneath the muscle, you can make a plane on top of the muscle as well. That's the dual plane. And it's particularly useful for people, people who've got a bit of a droop to their breasts. You can, make, you can release the breast off the top of the muscle so that the breast will sit with the implant. Because one of the risks of putting um, implants in when people have got a bit of a droop, particularly when you put them under the muscle, is the, the uh, implant's held high and the breast um, sits low and they don't sit together. So you really want the implant to sit with the um, breast. And so you can create two planes, that's a dual plane. Now, there are three types of dual plane, type one, two, and three. And type one dual plane means that you don't have any significant subglandular dissection. So it is purely underneath the muscle here. Now, when you put implants underneath the muscle, this part of the implant is always sort of not, is always on top of the muscle, if you like. So the muscle is just, is just for the upper, and medial part of the implant to stop it from uh, to from seeing ripples or to feeling the edge of the implant. So it's your pec major muscle. If you look at where your pec is, your pec goes across your chest to here. So this piece of, it, of breast uh, of implant is never under the muscle. 
for a cosmetic augmentation, different if you're doing a reconstruction, but for a cosmetic augmentation, it's always under the muscle ones, just this. So even if you haven't got any subglandular dissection, so basically a, a normal submuscular implant would be classed as a dual plane type one. So all implants that are under the muscle are dual plane of some different variety. So to say, can I have implants that are under the muscle changed to dual plane? It's like, well, they already are dual plane. You could potentially have a different type of dual plane. You could make another uh, a varying degree of subglandular dissection if you haven't got it, but, uh, but they already are. But you could certainly have it changed to subglandular uh, if it's under the muscle. So you've got to ask yourself why. I mean, the problem, people often kind of say, can I have them under the muscle because they're better under the muscle or they're better on top of the muscle? There's no better way of doing it. It's not like one's better. And that's why it's all about judgment. It's about seeing what you what your anatomy is like to make a judgment to see what's right for you. And um, so there are pros and cons of both. So if you've got them under the muscle, the good thing about under the muscle is that it hides up, particularly, particularly in the upper pole, it's the implant's hidden. It's, um, it's, it's less likely to have rippling, less likely to see, see the edges, feel the edges of the implant. That's the good thing about putting them under the muscle. The bad thing about putting them under the muscle is it hurts more. Sometimes the muscle can hold the implants up high, and sometimes you can get animation deformities, which means when you exercise, the breasts move. So if you're having problems with the under the muscle, you could change them to a subglandular pain. You could change them and put them on top of the muscle. But the, the worry that I would have is that someone made a decision at some point to put them under the muscle for some reason, and it might be that reason still there, so you might think, well, am I going to then be able to see them or feel them or get rippling or what have you? So that's one worry. Now, it might be that you put on weight. You're very slim when you have first and then you put on weight. So you've got a bit more coverage. So you can hide them by putting them on top of the muscle. Well, there might be a reason why it might be a good thing to put them on top of the muscle. You might be having an absolute nightmare with them under the muscle. But it is a bit of a, you know, so the question, the answer to the question is, yes, you can change the plane. But you've got to think about why you change the plane. It's you. It's more common to change it from going on top of the muscle to under the muscle. So that's patients who have uh, on top of the muscle and then they have rippling, or um, you can you can see or feel the edges of the implant, and then you can put it under the muscle. That's a sort of more common way to go in terms of changing plane. But still, it's you can still change it from submuscular to subglandular. But it needs a proper conversation to make sure that's the right decision, and you're right. You're happy taking on the potential risks of putting them on top of the muscle. Um, so whichever way you have it done, you've got to take on the potential risks of having it done that way because there are risks of having it done both ways, but there are also benefits of having it done both ways. So you're just hoping that your benefits are going to outweigh your risks. Uh, and of course, this is all theoretical because you don't know until you have it done, but that's the nature of surgery. It's all like, it's all like just, you know, numbers game and really what's the likelihood of getting a good result this way. And you've got to balance it yourself and decide which one's going to be better, um, for you, so that's where we are. That someone made a comment. I've got a, Laura Jane New, good name. Hi, Laura Jane New. Nice to see you. That was. I don't know if you hear me go, Laura Jane New, but we've had three um, questions, and I've done. I've just done the last one. Um, so I'm. I'm out. I'm out of questions. So um, yeah, you can change the muscle. You can change the plane. Um, Mm. Hold on, Dawn's in. Dawn's in. Dawn and look at that. You put the call out. You can rely on Dawn and Chelsea. 
reliable. Look at that. How are you? I if I want a dog ear removing, what's the procedure? How long will it take? And what's your recovery? Dawn, love it, love it. I tell you what, the procedure to you, Dawn. The procedure is get yourself down here, and I'll sort it. Simple as that. Um, now the doggies are usually quite small, so I'm assuming it's, it's usually not. They're not usually that big. So they're usually little bumps at the end of the scar somewhere. Um, so uh, they're usually done under local anaesthetic. Uh, you can often do them here uh, in the clinic. If you just let us know when you when you're coming, uh, well, obviously you're going to let us know you're coming. I'm going to just turn up. But if you just let us let us know that you might be wanting your dog ear removed, we'll just put you in for an hour on appointment, and I'll just do it there. And then if you want, you can come and talk if you want about it first. But um, you can just book in for an hour on appointment, and uh, I'll just do it on the on the day. Um, the, so the procedure, local anaesthetic, local anaesthetic stings a bit, then the dog ear, move the dog ear, then. Um, um, dissolvable sutures, a waterproof dressing, you shower and all that sort of stuff straight off. Dressing comes off after a week, you can come back and have that dressing off. You don't have to come back for your dressing to be removed. If you um, are happy doing it yourself at home, we're well, you're welcome to come back and we'll do it. But dressing comes off after a week. Normally don't need a dressing after that. Uh, scar will be a bit red and obvious for the first few months, as I said earlier. Um, and then after about six weeks, what I normally do, I see about six weeks and get you massaging, just like all your other scars. Remember that? Well, you might not remember it's ages ago, but they're always a bit red to start with. And then you're massaging it um, after about six weeks, and then it settles, um, and uh, can take a good few months for it to settle. But yeah, that's a, that's thanks, Dawn. Save me there, and Chelsea saved me too. Do ripples only occur from the implant going over the muscle? No, Chelsea. Good question. I, should, I need an anatomy specimen. I've got a thing here. Can I use this? Right. Right then. So um, the muscle, the muscle comes like that. Right? So, what was the question? Do ripples only occur from the implant going over, over the muscle? So when a missile implant goes over the muscle. Right, all implants, that's a, that's a smooth implant, it's a textured implant. But anyway, either way, all implants, when you hold them up, smooth implants are a bit worse, when you hold them up, ripple like that. All implants look like that. The question is whether you can see those ripples or not. And that depends on how much cover you've got over your chest. So um, if you've got enough covering over your chest, over your body, then you can hide those ripples and you can't see them. But if you haven't, then, then you might want to put it under the muscle. So, um, so the, what happens when you put it under the muscle, which one is it, this one? Sorry, it's just, it's reversed. Um, when you put it under the muscle, you, the muscle hides it in the upper outer, uh, in, in the, the upper quadrant and in the, the cleavage area, hides those ripples. But, you can, this is working, I don't know if this is working. But out, out of the outer border here, you might still see ripples on the outside edge here. So sometimes you can feel ripples on the outside, it's all black, on the outside edge. Um, because the muscle's going like that. So it's not covering here. So it's possible, even when they're under the muscle, you can still feel uh, see or feel ripples, potentially on the outer border. And under here, you can sometimes feel it as well. So... 
they are your, your upper part pole is more likely to be covered. If you haven't got much muscle, you can still have ripples. I don't know if that was helpful. Thank you. Thank you for your help, love. Um, if you, um, but it's, if you, it's potential with it under the muscle, but it's uh, so the, the um, so ripples are more likely to occur within part over the top of the muscle than they are with it under the muscle. But even when they're under the muscle, you can still occur on the lateral border and the inferior border. Um, I hope I've answered that okay, Chelsea. Again, Chelsea, if you've got any issues, come and, come and we'll sort you out. Uh, I'll sort you out. Do you ab contouring with a snatched waist? Your JNU, do you do ab contouring with a snatched waist? Do you do ab, um, ab contouring with a snatched waist? What's a snatched waist? Um, ab contouring. Well, abdominal contouring, so liposuction, yes. If you're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read things into what you're talking about, Laura Jane, you, because um, I do respect you for coming in early on the first hive. Um, so what I would, ab contouring, does that mean like, sometimes you can do, there was a Vogue a while, ago, a few years ago now, uh, over liposucking um, the abdomen to make it look like you've got a six pack, so uh, the six pack is due to the muscle, the definition of the muscle, the rectus muscle. And people were doing too much liposuction to create a dent to make it look like they've got a six pack. Is I don't do that. I don't think many people do that anymore. It's not very good because you're taking out a lot of fat and scarring and it's unpredictable and it's hard to correct problems. But uh, certainly abdominal contouring, definitely. So abdominal contouring, tummy tucks and liposuction, definitely do that. With a snatched waist, Laura Jane knew, I don't know what a snatched waist is. I feel, I feel uh, underprepared uh, to answer that question. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to actually Google that now, because that would be snatched waist. Interviews for snatched waist. A waist snatcher is a modern term for a corset or other compression. Girlfriend, I'm going to get that snatched waist and show off my figure eight. Okay, Urban Dictionary, snatched. Popular term. Right, um, okay. Big butt snatched waist, that's the new norm, but at what cost? Uh, okay, I bet I'm a depth on that one, Laura Jane. You not sure what a snatched waist is? Um, of course, there are other compassions. Definitely do abdominal contouring. Might, might, may or may not do a snatched waist. Um, Dawn. Excellent, I'm booked in to see you soon. I'll have a think and give you a call. Definitely, silly question. Am I okay to drive straight after or do I need to bring someone? That's not a, a silly question, Dawn. The um, the, light, the um, local anesthetic says you're not supposed to drive for 24 hours afterwards. So the advice when you're having local anesthetic is you're not supposed to drive 24 hours afterwards. Um, but people do. If you feel up to it, you you know, people, people do. But on the sort of, if you read the leaflet, like, you know, read the leaflet of paracetamol, put the fear of God in you, but that's what it says on the leaflet for local anesthetic. It's always nice to bring someone with you, um, but by the terms of it, you're not supposed to drive after a local anesthetic. But as I say, people do drive and we're not going to stop you and say, Doug, give me your keys, wrestle to you the ground and, you know, call the police. You, you will be able to leave. <laughs> but uh, that's what it says on the, on the packet for local anesthetic. 
Mel sends Chelsea, thank God for that. Um, does the liposuction that shrinks skin actually work? How lax can the skin be for the procedure to be effective, i.e. tops of thighs? Oh, Joe, um, I've just done a blog post on that, on the fat freezing, um, whether it works or not. I think it does. And I think the main thing for uh, the, the shrinking skin is uh, radio frequency is good for shrink skin shrinking. So basically there's the liposuction that sh shrinks skin and there's stuff that you can do to shrink skin. So you can get a radio frequency fat uh, sort of removing device and you get a radio frequency device that will actually just shrink skin. Um, I'm not sure how they differ, but anyway, they're both delivering energy to the skin. Um, well, the fat ones obviously deliver it to the fat. That's just how they differ. Um, okay, so. I think, I think, Joe, I think they do to a degree. I do think they do to a degree. Um, and tops of thighs, yeah, maybe, certainly outer thighs, not so much on the inner sides, but certainly on the inner. But I think actually liposuction works well in the outer thighs in terms of if you remove the, the fat, the skin recoils to a degree in, in uh, the outer thighs. So I think, you know, is it the machine or is it actually the fact that the skin recoils once you remove the fat? Um, so I, I think they do work. And as I said in my blog post recently, I think the problem that I've got with fat freezing uh, devices is value for money because they're very expensive. And I think they're quite subtle. The results I've seen have been quite subtle, uh, but I don't do it. So maybe you better speak to someone who does it a lot, who maybe can give you a better idea of whether, you know, what sort of results you can achieve. But I find, found this very expensive. It's almost expensive as surgery, really, when you factoring the fact that you have to do multiple procedures. In fact, it can be more expensive than surgery. And surgery is not subtle results. Surgery, you can get dramatic and predictable results. So that's the problem I've got at the moment. That's the problem I've got with the clinic because I want to give everyone a really good result. And I don't want to have a whole load of people here who have got sort of average results. Um, so that's where I'm a bit uh, sort of delaying the, the, the purchasing of one of those machines for those reasons because i think it's quite subtle but i but i, I do think it does work um uh, and you've just got to see someone who, who does it and look at some of their results to see if it's worth it for the investment because for me it's a bit expensive at the moment Lord Jane, you thank you well i'm i hope i've i hope i'm glad you're thanking me because i must have given some benefit to the snatched comment Dawn is crying, and so look at that. We've got some, we've got some interest. So I'm still on last question. Oh, well, the, last, the last one was the last question. Um, so um, I've got my Google search for snatched wastes open here, and I will then um, see you soon, Dawn. Uh, Chelsea, I'd love to see you soon too. Uh, see how you're getting on, and if certainly if you want any questions, you can always email me. Uh, Joe says, makes sense. Yeah, Joe, just talk to someone who does it, really. That's the advice. Um, I'm probably not the best person because I don't have a machine. But the reason I don't have a machine is because I, you know, I'm a bit on the fence with it. Uh, the results I've seen have been subtle and the machines have been expensive. So, yeah, that's where I am. So thank you all. See you all soon. Oh, look at that. Uh, nice one, Chelsea, in with a question. Uh, if you have implants smaller than the previous, will they droop? Yes. Um, now, it depends on how much smaller and how much. But basically, I think what the, one of the things when you have implants, uh, for instance, if you have implants and have that, then have them removed, if it's any period of time, like years later, if it's like straight away, it's fine. 
But if it's years later, that skin will have stretched. So if you have implants and then have them removed, you won't go back to looking the same as how you looked before you had implants. The skin will have stretched and that will make them droop. That's what a droop is caused by the skin being stretched. So similarly, if you downsize implants, if you have implants slightly smaller than what you are, it will droop. Now, the degree to which it droops depend on, depends on how much smaller they're going to be. So if they're only a little bit smaller, then, you know, then that's okay. But if they're a lot smaller, then you've got to think about, is that going to be a cosmetic problem for me? So, um, you know, you've got to be a bit, a bit worried about, um, about making them smaller. If you're changing implants, as a rule, all other things being equal, you'd probably want to go a little bit bigger just to fill the space, make sure you fill the space so it doesn't sort of move around in that space. And uh, certainly it's in a way easier to go a little bit bigger just to fill the space than it is to go smaller. Because smaller you worry about the, the positioning of the implant and whether it's going to move in the pocket and whether the skin that has stretched is going to droop and, and affect cosmetic results. So it's all relative, um, Chelsea. I wouldn't be too doom and gloom about it. Uh, it depends on how much smaller you're going to go. If you're getting a little bit smaller, then that skin might recoil and it might be absolutely fine. But if you get, you know, if you're going a lot smaller or just having the implants removed, then then that uh, not putting that is an issue. Oh, hot now, God! Look at that. Should have started at half seven. Gemma, I've had a tummy tuck and converted to FDL. Not happy with Mons. Is it easy to do revision and make Mons better? Right. I had some comments last week that I was talking about the Mons and I wasn't didn't make it clear what the Mons was. In fact, FDL. So FDL is flirtily. Uh, flirtily is the the sign they have on the shield. You know the uh, warriors in uh, King Arthur's time. Uh, the flirtily symbol, sort of like three leaves. And basically, it's a tummy tuck with a vertical component. So there's a scar going straight down the middle, just like an inverted T shape tummy tuck scar. So um, so the and the what is the mons? That's what they were asking. I was talking about the mons and mons So the mons is this bit here. It's this bit here over the pubic bone, the top of the pubic hair. That's where your mons is. That's your mons pubis. And it's the bit sort of underneath the upper part of the pubic hair. Um, so uh, often people who need it, particularly if it's a, um, if you've lost a lot of weight, and you have a lot of excess abdominal skin, you can have an excess and prominent mons, but you often don't realize it's there because your abdominal apron is sort of in the way. And when you have a tummy tuck, sometimes it's, uh, more obviously, oh my lord, what, what's that? What have you done there? And like, well, we haven't done anything. We've uh, that was there already, but it just becomes more apparent. And as, as I said last week, it's hard to address it at the time of a tummy tuck. But if you've had a tummy tuck and you are not happy with the mons, is it easy to do a revision and make the mons better? I'm not sure how, how much any of this stuff is easy, and it depends on how bad the mons is. But is it doable? Yes, it's definitely something doable. Depends on how bad it was. Um, and if it wasn't that bad, if it's just a little bit of prominence in the mons, you can have um, liposuction, which can help and make the skin recoil. If it's very prominent and there's a prominence of skin as well, you can excise some skin, take a wedge of skin out. There can, I wouldn't say it's easy because the mons is an area which has got a lot, lot of lymphatics. So there's a risk of, of seroma and swelling. Uh, you've also got to be very careful with how much of that mons you can you lift, because if you overdo it, then you can pull the pubic hair up and make the pubic hair sit too high and you can pull the clitoris up and get a clitoral lift which can be quite uncomfortable so you have got to be a little bit careful about what you do in terms of overdoing it with the mons um, but it's certainly something that can be addressed probably the easiest thing is liposuction and maybe take a bit of skin out to tighten that skin but it's definitely something that can be done 
journey. I had body type lipo and it was very effective. I'm three months post-op and found it great. See, this now makes me think, should I get a machine then? Because obviously there are some people who are happy with it. It's expensive though, isn't it, Junie? Was, was it worth it? Did you think it was worth it? Well, obviously, look at you. You're on here saying how good it was. Oh, I don't know, Junie. Maybe I'll get a machine then. Oh, dear. Well, Junie is saying the body type lipo was good. Um, mind you, actually, hold on a minute. Body type lipo. Um, I think body type lipo, so many of these things these days, that is actually lipo, isn't it? That, they actually put a cannula in and then they use radio frequency as well to, to tighten the skin. So I think body tight lipo is actually light, it's not a non-surgical liposuction, it is surgery. Um, yes, you should very well. But they do, it's still a, you still need an anesthetic and they still put a cannula in for body tight. Do they, Judy, I think? So I can sort of understand how that works a bit more if that is what indeed what body tight lipo. I think that's all. Not up to date with all my technologies, but I think body tight lipo is is a is actually liposuction rather than a non-surgical thing. So that would give a more predictable result because you're putting a cannula in and sucking the fat out, albeit um, uh, with radio frequency uh, as well. Um, and I think one of the there's lots of assisted types of liposuction, radio frequency, ultrasound, laser, and one of the things if you look at it critically as a surgeon, it is very hard to justify it. I think patients like it when they're combined with these things like laser and all these sorts of stuff. But I think from a surgical point of view, it's a lot of it is like patients want to have a type of liposuction that's got radio frequency or vaser or laser or something. Um, but actually the results are, when you look at it from a sort of scientific point of view, they, they're often quite similar to what you can do with standard lipo. So it's, but nevertheless, Junie is saying body type is good. So thumbs up for body type there. You've got a body type person there. Gemma, it was great after original tummy tuck, but after FDL, it's gone baggy. Bag well, let me get this right. I've had a tummy tuck and converted to FDL. So you had a tummy tuck and then you had an FDL secondary. Oh, you had a secondary FDL and then it's gone baggy. Well, that's unusual. It's gone baggy. It's usually gone baggy. The things that make it go baggy is putting on losing weight, really. That's the main thing. Uh, but maybe after your third lee, you had a bit of swelling and that stretched the skin. Um, but that's an interesting one. Uh, yes, you should. Very worth it. Hold on a minute. Let's jump that one. Yes, still under GA. It's lipo that heats the fat, not so aggressive as normal lipo. And radio fusion shoots the screen. It's showing. Well, there you go, Junie. That is. So that's a bit more than the non-surgical sort of fat freezing things I was talking about. So body tight is actually a surgical procedure. So that's great that you had a great result, Junie. So that's really good to hear that that has worked well for you. So yes, yeah, so that's I think that's liposuction, as you say, and then the radio frequency as well, which um, which shrinks the skin, and that has worked a treat. So brilliant. Joe's in. Have you have any experience to acknowledge of Saxenda Saxenda for weight loss? Is it effective? No, I've got no knowledge, Joe. I don't know what it is. Saxenda. Do you know what, Joe? Um, we're looking at having a, oh, I don't think you're one of my patients, are you one of my patients? We're looking at having an event for about weight loss here because we had a, we put a thing out, what should we have an event about and weight loss was a thing. Um, are we going to get someone to come and talk about it? So they might have not, I don't know what it is. It's, I'm, I'm assuming it's some kind of medication. I don't know. Um, weight loss and, um, and certainly weight loss surgery is a totally different thing to plastic surgery. So there are surgeons who specialize in weight loss, you know, bariatric 
gastric bands and all that sort of stuff in terms of the surgery. Um, and that's not a plastic surgeon. We deal with the treatment after weight loss in skin tightening and body contouring, but we don't deal with the actual um, helping people lose weight. We say to people, oh, you've got to lose weight and stop smoking. And then they say, yeah, but how can I do that? And we're like, mm, I don't know. So we're not, you know, we're not really, that's why I was thinking having someone come and talk about it because it's not really, you know, we can say this is, you know, you need to get this BMI and things, but we can't really, um, it's not our thing. So if someone comes and wants weight loss, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I'll refer you on to someone who does that specialist. So sorry, Joe, I've got no, but thanks for the question, but I've got no knowledge of Saxene Sender, Saxenda. And Junie, that's really good. I love it. I'd love to hear people's reactions on if they've had this sort of stuff, especially the non-surgical stuff. I'd love to hear about it because I don't know, to be honest. Oh, the jury's out. I, you know, it's really interesting to hear Junie saying that she's had a good experience with that. But uh, as I say, that is a bit more uh, than, um, than the non-surgical stuff. It was the non-surgical things we were looking at here because we already do the surgical things. It's the non-surgical things. So, yeah, thank you very much. That is me. I am done. Um, thank you for the late uh, barrage of questions. And uh, always be grateful to you, Laura Jane New, for coming in early, and Dawn and Chelsea for cavalry charge with some questions. Um, and I will be here seven o'clock on Tuesday night next week, and I will be answering your questions. So please send them in. Send them in by email or by um, on Facebook. And in the meantime, if you could go to the um, YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Come on, let's make it 203 subscribers. Uh, that'll be great. And if you do like listening to things, the podcast is available on iTunes and has been for quite some time. So thank you very much. I'm going to go and check out of here and I hope that has been helpful and I look forward to seeing you next week and thank you for, uh, for helping me out and asking, asking me questions and for commenting and sharing. Thank you. See you next week. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag Ask JJ. We'd love to hear from you.